Hey there, film fans. I'm Jeff. I'm Dave. And I'm John, and welcome back to The Love of Cinema, a pod in which we'll discuss movies, both new and old, with a strictly positive critical eye. That's right. And to avoid any lazy negativity, we are making this a drinking game. A what? A drinking game. <laughs> Anytime we say something negative or stupid, you will hear this sound. <laughs> Wait, it's stupid as well? This means... is going to be going off a lot. Yeah. And that means you, we have to drink. We don't like podcasts that get stuffy and start trying to rip movies so they sound smart. We are way ahead of that, unless we're talking about the worst Steven Spielberg movie ever, mm. ever conceived, <laughs> let alone made. Or Toy Story. Or Toy the Story. Intro, come on. That's right. So Positive film podcast. That's what we are. Pour yourself a glass because <laughs> Jeff just emptied his. Join us oh and God. give it up for some films we love and a couple that are going to need some love this week. Oh, yeah, here man. we go, guys. All right. Yeah. So what are we doing? For, the fr- for friends of us that have been following us for a long time, we have recently wrapped up our coronavirus franchise face-off in which we spent a lot of time re-watching about 17 film franchises or trilogies while we had the extra time during the coronavirus quarantine. Uh, we decided that Lord of the Rings was our winner, but if you want to listen along, you can go ahead through the feed and find out all of those episodes. But we are coming into a somewhat newish format for us. This, this week, we're specifically going to be looking at the films of 1979, three films in particular, so we don't turn this into a five-hour podcast. Uh, we're going to do Apocalypse Now, the final cut, which is the Woo! second time Francis Ford Coppola decided to re-edit the original version with some extra footage that was originally cut out. So that is the 2019 fair, release. Fair warning, of I didn't do now. the final cut because I hadn't actually seen Apocalypse Now, so I watched. Well, and the that's okay. That's okay, because I bet you a lot of our audience hadn't either. It just came out last year, 2019. We're then going to be talking about the movie The Warriors, which is from 1979. If you haven't heard of it, stick around. It was a cool film. And then also in 1979, Steven Spielberg decided to follow up Jaws and Close Encounters of the Third Kind with a two-hour comedy that is so exhausting. I believe believe Stanley Kubrick said... I believe Stanley Kubrick said that was spectacular and spectacularly unfunny. I believe that was Stanley <laughs> Kubrick. So, drink, Stanley. That's what we're, great. Sorry, Stanley. Stanley. Oh, um, so that's what we're going to be talking about. Uh, but first, we would like to do a quick little thing, just the, what, we're, what we've been watching, since obviously we're removing ourselves from contemporary films and such for this episode. So, yeah, uh, despite why don't we start with- Chris Nolan trying, he couldn't get the cinemas reopened. Right. Yeah, sorry, Tenet. Yeah, sorry, Tenet. So, um, Dave, why don't we start with you? What have you been watching? Uh, I, did, I, I did a little bit of TV, and I know we're not going to discuss that because we're a cinema podcast, but I, yeah, I did a little bit of TV this week because right. um, I got fairly behind on The Expanse. Love it. Recommend it. But I did catch uh, Disney's Artemis Fowl. Huh. Mm. Based, what is based that? On the, it's based it. on the books. Uh, there's a whole series of books um, about Artemis Fowl. He's like a child... Uh, evil genius and it deals with the fairy world and that sort of thing and Disney gives this one a huge swing and a miss yeah is it on is it on Disney Disney. Plus it's on Disney Plus they dropped it there instead of the cinema it was supposed to come out in the cinema like um, Josh Gad's in it uh, Judy Dench is in it and it is absolutely woeful the the day Jesus Christ live action or animated live action live action wow Jesus yeah has has a like has more narration in it than Apocalypse Now. Mm. 
Oh, boy. <laughs> oh, God, no. Oh, no. <laughs> just as dark and bloody, though, I'm sure. Oh, it's, it's all done I'm by sure. Josh Gad. It's just it's, a... it's, yeah, it's, I, we, uh, I'll, I'll report back when I actually get to the end of it, because it was one of those rare ones that I stopped. Anyway, mm. Jeff. Dude, I stopped 1941. <laughs> Let's wait till we get there. Uh, nice, dude. You said so you're watching The Expanse. I started that show, dude. I I love sci-fi. I got to dive in. It's just one of those I have to commit to, and I haven't really done it yet. It's getting better and better, though, it I is. hear. Yeah. Nice. I uh, I went on a deep dive, not too deep, into uh, some black cinema. I watched Morgan Freeman and Lean on Me, which was... I, I love that movie. I've always, I've always loved that movie. I have some friends who are teachers who became teachers because of that movie. Uh, 1989, I believe. Morgan Freeman is a, you know, kind of badass, radical, rogue teacher in the New Jersey school system, gets hired to turn a, a school around. It's uh, based on a true story. Really intense, you know, really moving. I don't know how PC how does, some of this stuff how, is how nowadays. Does, how does Morgan Freeman but, go playing a radical? Because he's, he's always got that smirk. He always seems honestly, to be such that's a what I was thinking about. Character. Just yeah just for the actors out there that might be the last time i have seen him that hot like he kind of started playing the sage after that you know mm. and um same year as glory two years after glory so like that was glory was definitely one of those first sagey roles he kind of had and then obviously it was just cemented in stone after uh <laughs> was in 1992 with um shawshank yeah so we haven't really seen him but i mean unbelievable that man acts his fucking ass off definitely recommend that so i watched that i watched straight out of compton again i like that movie a lot and i watched girls trip for like the third time which i fucking love yep. girls trip is what the hangover should be dude girls trip mm-hmm. is fucking funny i don't know if you guys have yeah. seen that yeah, that's like the third time i've watched it <laughs> Oh my God! Yeah, Tiffany Boy, Haddish, welcome so to Stardom. Hard. That's what that was, yeah. Tiffany Haddish, oh my welcome God! Your bloodline is nasty. It's nasty. It's <laughs> <laughs> so hilarious. So I had a really fun week, and then I I love two of these movies. I hate one of them, and I love two of these movies. So I can't wait to talk about these as well. Jeff, what'd you watch? So I I started out the week by also trying to do some homework. We talked about last week. So I had actually read the almost all of the autobiography of Malcolm X as told to Alex Haley when I was in college. And then I, I left for the summer and I left it. So I just never got back to it. Uh, but I Was it in that film, film is History class or that upper level, that class you took on film? No, I watched that for pleasure. Or... I actually think my brother recommended the book because he thought he had the book and he gave it to me. So he thought it was awesome. It was not for my literary film adaptations class. Although literary film. A, cl- yeah, a Clockwork Orange was in that. So we actually read the book and then talked about how they converted it. And it was really fucking deep. Nice. A Clockwork Orange came out in 1979, but we are not going to be talking about that this week no it just it wasn't it just wasn't gonna we happen couldn't, we couldn't take it um, on top of everything else <laughs> i know my god anyway so um but no i just i read the book a long time ago and i never seen the film and i mean it is it is fucking powerful man there are it's it starts out a little it's not exactly what i expected from an epic it definitely had a style and it definitely had some pizzazz but it felt a little art housey and then it turns into like goodfellas meets um there's like some Godfather elements in there too. It, it, it becomes awesome. Scorsese said it was one of his 10 favorite films of the nineties. It, it is, there is some stuff in it that is so fucking incredible. Denzel Washington's yeah. transformation. A lot of people, like I read some reviews that said he was miscast because they didn't think he was, he was exactly like Malcolm X. It's bullshit. He's, he kind of starts out as Denzel and transitions into um, Malcolm X. And it is, it is 
It is stunning. Which is exactly man. It, what it is really Malcolm stunning. X does. You know, the character. Exactly. Like, I thought exactly. it made I thought sense. It was brilliant. Yeah. It was, and I think Spike was, Lee, I love, I love that Spike Lee maintains his style. He, he clearly took on an epic that could have been yeah. done, like, it could have been produced and directed like any filmmaker could have made it, yeah. and it could have just been, like, you know, no hands-on. I don't think it's overblown, though. I don't think it's too much of a Spike Lee movie if you mm. don't like Spike Lee's style. I thought it was still Not very even, palatable. Quick shout, quick shout out to the, the new Spike Lee just dropped on Netflix, if I'm not mistaken. Yes. Yes. Uh, yeah, yes. Yeah, I saw it. The Five Bloods. Um, so Malcolm X is, is Malcolm X is it's long. It's three hours and 15 minutes. It's on Netflix. Yeah. If you need a boost, if you're thinking about it, but it might be a little long or heavy or whatever, listen to Spike Lee do interviews about it. He ran out of money. I think the exact phrase was, was it Coppola? Actually, somebody told him, um, well, oh my God, something really grotesque, like, um, like impregnate the studio first and then they'll have to take it to term it was something grotesque but basically like he started filming and he knew he didn't have the money to finish it he just felt like it was too important to get shelved so he started it they got a different studio took it over long story short oprah um michael jordan there's a really funny exchange where michael jordan wouldn't give money and then spike lee called and he said magic johnson gave this much money and michael jordan said how much did magic johnson give and ended up matching magic johnson's and he was like the by the, and he told them all the he book. said he said he said this is not an investment you will never see this money again and also spike lee gave up his salary he put it back into the film we'll talk about this in apocalypse now anyway malcolm x shout out um as far as television uh i watched some I'm, we're quarantining here in the house, and so sometimes we have some group things going on. So we've seen a lot of Queer Eye. Queer Eye was pretty fun this week. I highly recommend that in the season in Philadelphia. Bobby is the is the fucking hero of Queer Eye. I know JVN I, I don't, I don't is the personality. I don't give time for reality TV, but I make exception for Queer Eye because let's face it, they're contributing to society. There is some shit in this that is so good, but Bobby is the fucking hero of this. Come at me if you disagree. I've definitely watched some Dance Moms and My Cat from Hell. My Cat from Hell, shout out. Um, and then I started uh, Dear White People, and I started Forever. Kind of all over the board, but that's where I'm at. Wow. Cool. Sweet. I want to do one and tiny rant before we get started. that, we also... Wait. Yeah, go ahead. Watched Apocalypse. Wait, now. I want to do a... T- I want... Oh, we watch podcasts now, but I want to talk about a quick rant first of all. So we used to we used okay. to be a podcast where we would try to we would try to put a new movie and compare it to a classic or something that we know from the past that we love. Um, so that way, it's like if you liked um, Portrait of a Girl on Fire, which is a near perfect film, you would also like A Royal Affair, which is um, another fantastic film that you may not have heard of. So if you're watching this, it's contemporary, but also, you know, it kind of connects us to the, the film world and we get drunk during it and we do the redemption and it's really, really, really fun. So this week we finally had a new movie come out. We finally had one and it was The King of Staten Island, which is Judd Apatow <laughs> and Keith Davidson, right? <laughs> well, here's the thing. I really was going to give an impassioned like rant about this. And then I was talking to my friend Kev about it. And now I'm, I feel somber. I feel somber about it. So I've been spending an entire week trying to find out the pricing of this because I know that what I know that studios used to use the on-demand rental as like a buffer period between theater and streaming. So it's like free money for them because it's going to be on streaming soon, but it's like, if you can't wait, you can spend some money and great, but it already had its cultural relevance in the theaters, but King of Staten Island is never going to have that release. So I couldn't find the pricing. And I was like, I know they're going to fucking price this too high. I know it. And they did. It finally came out on Friday and it is $20. And look, Judd Apatow hasn't made a movie since he made Trainwreck 45 minutes too long. 
and it's like he's finally back. <laughs> no, it, I'm sorry. Trainwreck is really fucking funny. And then all of a sudden, this whole funeral sequence happens, and I thought I was watching Olive Kitteridge. Like, <laughs> like, hey, don't talk shit about Olive Kitteridge, motherfucker. That's great. No, Olive Kitteridge is brilliant. Franny, baby. Franny is our hero of our pod. Hey! Shout out. Anyway. Gotta love her. Anyway, so, so look, I'm not shitting on it being $20, because I understand the studio expected to make some money off of this. This is my rant was going to be into this. And it's like, you can't even meet as a group. So the only, like, this is priced more than a movie ticket. Movie tickets are like, yeah. what, $15 now for like this kind of movie. So yeah. in a way, you need to have more than one person watching this to justify spending more than to go to a theater where you have a thousand foot screen and speakers all around you and up your butthole. And instead, like you're watching it on your couch. And this is also the kind of movie where, let's be real, if we're watching this on our couch, we know we're going to get up to pee and we might not make it through. That's just what happens when you watch it home if you don't think that's what happens talk to any kid that's been on zoom for the past three months it's like it's it's just harder to do things at home and you just don't want to spend twenty dollars for it when you can literally spend twenty dollars on anything all three of these movies that we're going to talk about today is twelve dollars to rent all three of them and twenty dollars to rent one king of staten island is like a little bit risky it's just a little bit high when nobody's meeting up unless you're watching this with your family disney movies are different trolls um, onward you can watch it as a family it's totally worth twenty dollars so that your whole family can watch this new movie so anyway speech my, my speech is i feel really bad because i want to fucking rip judd apatow i want to rip apatow productions and i want that i want to shit on them and say why would you do this this is so stupid i have a whole reddit thread of people shitting on how much money this is but the truth is i feel really really bad because it's ruining the cultural relevance of movies when you do basically a slow release like this the limited release when movies would come out that weekend and people are talking about have you seen it yet it's so fun that is now only reserved for marvel movies it's basically movies are turning into theme parks it's like you spend money for these movies and not for these movies and it's ruining the mid-budget movie so the 20 to 30 million dollar comedies are already gone right the blumhouse films are five million dollars to make so they're going to keep fucking churning those out whether they make or lose money doesn't fucking matter and marvel movies are going to be 200 million dollars because they're going to be able to make that back even if they go to streaming and movies like king of staten island it's like it just it just doesn't have a moment and i, I i'm bummed i'm bummed about it it's too bad but i i would never spend 20 dollars to rent this movie and that's too bad it's just too bad that's my rant yeah no i think it's right i know they're and i know they're one of the first films who's trying to navigate this um and if I'm being totally honest, because Jeff, you and I talk about this quite a bit, just um, if we have come to a time where there should be some kind of relativity in pricing based on how much the budget of a film was, I might spend $20 to see Tenet. I might do it. I might, yeah, me too. If I had Dude. a good situation in my home theater, I might yeah. go for it because I might I, I might not want to wait. I'm pretty excited to see that movie. I was really looking forward to seeing it in theaters. Uh, I'm not spending 20 bucks to see King of Staten Island. No fucking way. By myself, right. especially like, mm. and and even if I was a huge fan of Judd Apatow and, uh, I'm sorry, what's his name, the comedian, uh, Pete Davidson. Yes. Pete Davidson. <laughs> uh, I, I don't know. I still I feel what you. I know what you mean. Like it, it, it would almost seem not worth it to do it by myself, at home. Uh, so I know yeah. I give them props because I know they're trying to navigate this thing. I know it's strange right now, but that seems pretty insane to ask people to do that especially because twenty dollars is a movie ticket in new york city not anywhere else hmm. you know only I mean? in imax <laughs> in regular like sd like it is fifteen dollars yeah. guys go on sunday mornings you get you get like or dolby t- you get Tuesdays dolby for the price of normal or t- wow great. i'm amc or t- a-list or t- this so <laughs> you would leave oh, i'm an a-list too but fun. even that whole fucking model is crazy because again why would you sp- 
why would you spend that much money? Even Portrait of a Lady on Fire, which is a brilliant film, it's like that movie shouldn't be priced the same yeah, as that, that wasn't showing at AMC. So it's also yeah. weird that I know I just made a joke about it, but it's also weird that like this is coming at a time when it's weird this year happened when movie packaging was starting to become really popular. AMC A list out of uh, what was the original thing called that failed movie, movie pass. Uh, sorry movie, movie pass movie pass it's so movie weird pass. that this year happened right now because <laughs> i think the way we go to movie theaters was about to change for a lot of people yeah. i mean these things were starting to make a lot more sense and then they try to charge 20 fucking bucks for a digital rental for anyway we're ranting oh uh, yeah we're 15 minutes in john hasn't even done the shout outs so. <laughs> i haven't uh, uh yeah, yeah let me do the shout outs <laughs> Uh, as always, Carlos Barozzo, he is our beer master, our beer brewer, our beer dude. Give him a follow on Instagram at cbarozzo bar 2019. That's C B A R R O Z O B A R 2019. And uh, as always, the music you hear on this episode and every episode is provided by the artist Dasein. That's Dasein, D A S E I N. Find him at soundcloud.com forward slash Dasein dash artist. All right, you guys. I'm pretty fucking excited to talk about this first movie, Apocalypse Now. Yeah, Dave, what did you say a little while ago? We were going to pick uh, Clockwork Orange, but we didn't want to go too heavy, so we decided to yeah. go with Apocalypse <laughs> fucking Now. <laughs> oh, my God. I didn't, wow. I didn't know. Right, I hadn't so, seen it. <laughs> so, first of all, not to uh, pimp you out too hard, but fuck you, Dave. How have you never seen Apocalypse Now until this week? Dude, it's, it's just what one is of wrong with things. you? It's funny. I've got a friend at the moment uh, who lives elsewhere in the world and is going through all the films that he hasn't watched. And he's posting, like, he's calling himself out and posting it on Facebook. And it's like, I haven't seen this. Right. I haven't seen that. And the list is horrific. And I'm like, how the fuck have you have not, not seen this and this? And then I realized I've done the fucking same thing. Yeah, dude. Like, Do you I'm hate <laughs> Francis Ford Coppola? Had you not seen The Godfathers no. either? Am I misremembering that? I hadn't seen The Godfathers, no. Did he direct those? Fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> I love how Why Dave is laughing. Francis Ford Coppola? Dave in the fall lapped all the Marvel movies, all 22 <laughs> of them, and he's like, Apocalypse Now once? Nah. <laughs> Yeah, nah, <laughs> nah, 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 not gonna do it, not gonna do yeah. it. All right, so, so oh my Dave, God, so Dave, you, this movie. Yeah, sorry. Well, let's no, no, give some no, context. I, I said at the beginning, because I know I'm ranting, so I'll let you guys talk about it first, but just to give it some more context. So, no, go, for in it, 2000, go for it, So 1979, in 2001, Francis Ford Coppola was asked if he wanted to recut the movie for a new release, right? Maybe with new sound quality. I actually forget exactly. And he did, um, oh shit, I, I have the wrong notes up. So he did the Apocalypse Now Redux, which yeah. is, so the original movie is about two and a half hours long. The Redux is three hours yes, and 15 is. minutes. They, they added 45 minutes back in. Now let's talk about this for a second. Francis Ford Coppola, this is a great behind the scenes of Apocalypse Now. He put $7 million of his own money into Apocalypse Now. $7 million in the 70s is, uh, what, $20 million now? He had, to re he had to mortgage his home and his fucking vineyard to make this movie. He wanted to film in six weeks. It took him 16 months because he had filming issues. He had a fucking typhoon destroy the set in the middle of filming. They decided- He, he had they, Marlon Brando on his film. Marlon Brando in his film. Because the plot of the movie is that they were, well, which we'll talk about in a second, but Martin Sheen's tasked with the job of killing Marlon Brando's character, who is a U.S. Um, captain. I forget his, his rank. General? He's a colonel. Cor corporal. Colonel. Colonel. Fuck, colonel. I don't know. My, okay. He, but he, so basically he was supposed to kill an American. And because of that, the U.S. Army wouldn't give them any of their supplies. So the Coppola went to the Philippines 
so that he could rent military equipment and film on location because it looked enough like Vietnam. And there was a civil war going on in the Philippines while this was happening. So the military kept asking for their helicopters back so they could go fight fucking renegades. So anyway, long story short is by the time this movie came out, uh, Coppola had to make sacrifices because he needed it. He needed to make the money back. He just he couldn't risk it bombing. So he needed to make the money back. In 2001, he decided to put 45 minutes back in and then he realized he rushed it because he just was putting all the shit back in and it, the pacing was all fucked up. So he cut 15 minutes back out. So now it's just over three hours is this final cut, which is his 40th anniversary director's cut. In it, you have a whole ghosty sequence, Dave, that you probably didn't know anything about where he, he meets these French people on the river. We'll talk about it in a second, but long story short, we're gonna John and I are gonna be talking about that cut, and Dave is going to be representing the audience, talking about the original theatrical release. Because I'm also, that I'm also is... representing a modern audience member who's coming in at a first watch now. Yeah, yeah. exactly. And that is on HBO for streaming now without yes. having to rent it, which is un- annoying for John and I because we want to recommend the other one. But speech over. Go. Who wants to? Yeah, go ahead. I mean, I kind of want to hear you shit on it, Dave, before I well, fucking no, chew you to pieces. I'm not, I'm not going to shit on it. <laughs> I just had some issues with a few things in it. That's all. But yeah, no, you get, by uh, all means, well, you go first. What were some of your issues? I mean, I love... <clears throat> I, I've, I've always loved this movie. This was... Uh, I didn't get into like filmmaking until my like late 20s, but even when I was thinking more as a performer and a, a hopeful actor when I was c- coming up and trying to watch as many of the films from this period, especially just because the acting really took a turn in the sixties and seventies and everyone was just so well-trained and it showed, I think some, some of the work in the seventies, especially is still just so iconic. So I went in thinking, you know, from the acting perspective as an audience member, and there are some ama- amazing performances in this movie as well. And this was one of the, the movies uh, that when I still had that perspective that just grabbed me by the throat with the filmmaking. It was just one of those where I was just like, I could not believe someone had the gall to make this movie. And, and then the more you learn about it, obviously it's elicited this, there's a wonderful documentary called Hearts of Darkness that is the name of the uh, Joseph Conrad novel that this story is based on that is also a very famous documentary because this is one of the legendary, almost failed movie making movies uh, so the story of the making of it is just as famous. But even if you're just talking about what you see on screen when you're watching it as an audience member, I don't know, you guys, Dave. I, I mean, it sounds like you're not going to agree with me. I think this might be one of the greatest movies ever made because I agree. So, you're, you're right. I'm not going to yeah. agree with you. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so I also think uh, this also could be something to be said. I think it's Coppola's best movie. A lot of people I, have said I, that. I love The Godfathers. I mean, because. We're talking about Francis Ford Coppola. So like anything he did around that period is iconic and everyone's going to study it forever. But my God, you've watched this movie and you just cannot believe that anyone was able to achieve it. And then afterwards you do your research and you learn about all the shit that he had to go through to make it. And this movie shouldn't have been made. That's what you learn is that this is every movie is made by sheer willpower. It's probably less than, you know, a small group of people that force these things into production. There aren't magic people in Hollywood that make movies. It is individuals that go up against the odds every single time. Even with a machine like Kevin Feige and the Marvel studio, there are people who are making these things happen. And when you learn about the making of this movie, it just takes it up a notch. 
It's filled with iconic performances, like I said. How many times have you heard someone say, I love the smell of napalm in the morning? How many times have you heard someone say, the horror? How many times have you seen other stories based on Hearts of Darkness that are trying to be Apocalypse Now? I don't know if you guys, did y'all see, um, motherfucker, what was the Brad Pitt movie from last year about space? Uh, Sat Astra. Ad Astra. Ad Astra. Ad Astra. It's also based on Hearts of Darkness. So it's a, you know, it's a wonderful vehicle. And I just think Coppola, when you hear him talk about making this. I, I almost watched I don't that want to this talk. afternoon. I'm glad I didn't now because I couldn't go down that fucking rabbit hole again. Oh, motherfucker. <laughs> I don't want to only talk about the making of this movie. It's just, it's just kind of hard not to talk about it because when you're watching it, you can't help but think about the making of this movie. Kind of like The Revenant. You're like, what the fuck did these people think they were doing thinking they could make this? Um, I got to see this director's cut last year at the uh, Alamo Draft House in Brooklyn. Oh, that's a good way to and, see it. Oh, motherfucker. It was, it was me and like six other people, small audience, late at mm. night, and it just... I mean, drunk. It took me. I walked around. <laughs> I walked around in the rain in Brooklyn afterwards, just like questioning everything. <laughs> just, I mean, it really killed me. Is this the greatest opening to a movie of all time? Jeff? I was I was thinking about that. I mean, it's up there with for as as far back as I can remember. I've always wanted to be a gangster. The Godfather opening is cool. I like Star Wars just fucking opening with um, the the title scroll and the music. But I, I think I thought about that all the time because it opens with. Here's what here's what you always hear about vets say. Here I'm going to speak for all the vets, <laughs> but vets always say one thing: <laughs> what you remember. What you remember the most is not the visuals, which is filmmaking, right? For the most part, what you remember is the smell and you remember the sounds and it opens yeah. in the dark with the helicopter. <laughs> and then slowly you hear the doors. This is our Jim Morrison's the end playing slowly. As you start to realize you're looking at a tree line that is about to get fucking demolished by bombs, by napalm bombs right as the lyric starts hitting. And then I honestly don't know how they did this with film. Dave, maybe you can speak to this, but somehow you, you see Martin Sheen's face and you see the bombing happening at the same time. Right. So they're like blurred mm -hmm. into each other. So it's like one in the same frame. And then somehow after this bombing and you realize that Martin Sheen is going through some kind of PTSD, like fucking breakdown. And it slowly segues to that. The helicopter is actually the ceiling fan above Martin Sheen and he is in a hotel room in the middle of Saigon the first lyric I believe he says like Saigon am I really fucking like here still in Saigon that can't be right and it's like you realize he's in the middle of Saigon but he actually never left the jungle and it is just such a visceral way of starting a movie before the dialogue even starts I mean is, yeah you so have you hear cool. you hear all the time especially as people our age um who came up after Vietnam you can watch the Ken Burns docu-series. You can read every fucking book. Oh, and you that still Ken Burns documentary fucked up, man. <laughs> it's, it's wonderful. You'll never be able to really capture the, the insanity of the chaos that was Vietnam. Like, that's what you always hear is that people will say, but yeah, it's just still, it doesn't feel like it. This is the closest I have ever been to feeling that kind of insanity. And he nails it from the first beat. As soon as those drums bop, yeah. those bombs drop, and you hear yeah. this is the end, and it just starts panning over. Oh, my God, you feel so like good. you are going absolutely fucking insane. And then you're right. The segue into Martin Sheen watching the, the blades of the fan go over him, it just blasts off. Blasts off, I'll use that gently, because this is a slow burn. But he yeah. fills it with the kind of insanity that seems to have been how everyone felt about that war. 
So also, let's also talk about when this came out, 1979. It had not even been a fucking decade since we were totally out of there, right? So this is um, like pretty right. fresh. It, I, mean, I think, yeah. I think it may have been too fresh for a lot of people. Yeah. Yeah, they, <laughs> they, started, shooting a, yeah, they started shooting in 76 and it came out in 79, yeah. There was, Technically, there was I want to give it up. In, uh, in, the, in, the, in the defense, there was a heart attack in the middle of that. So there was a yeah, there Mark was Sheen, God, there was Sheen everything you could possibly imagine. Yeah. I do want to give it up technically for several things. Um, you're right, Jeff. The the editing it took him three years to edit this footage. They had over 200 yeah. hours of footage. It took him three years to edit. Some of this is this is some of the best dissolve work you're gonna see in the entire yeah. cinema canon. All those dissolves in and out. The dissolves over the final sequence when he comes out of the water and he is about to go kill Kurtz. And oh you just know God. it's going to happen. The cutting I mean, back and forth for, from the from, execution from of the I, bull. From anything I say uh, from that point forward, though, the dissolves definitely get credit because if I'm not mistaken, this was pre-digital, which means that they had to edit yeah. that scene and then project it with two projectors and then film that projection and then correct that wow. projection. I mean, so to turn the projectors a, up and that down. Was so innovative. Like, that's, that was innovative. Yeah. This is also the very first movie that you uh, Coppola wanted to have a more visceral sound design. Mm -hmm. So they developed 5.1 sound so that he could have that opening fucking helicopter. Did you read, he the, wanted did you the, read helicopter. the story about him wanting to build a purpose-built theater in the middle of America and only screen it there? Yeah, in, in <laughs> literally okay. the central spot. He wanted to find the exact center <laughs> of, the, of the country. He to, and he wanted to screen it there for 10 years, Ugh. just run it continuously for 10 years. Yeah. Everyone could come and watch it oh there. And then if they wanted it somewhere else, they could give him a call and ask nicely. Jesus that is Christ. so fucking good. He's he, just such he a, is I, his I, own and yeah. he is his own colonel character. I know <laughs> you're totally, dude. You're totally. I think about that all the time. How meta it is that he was like he was also Martin Sheen trying to find himself <laughs> and destroy himself in the making of this thing. Just as a filmmaking, just like, and this is the last point I'll make until I yell at you about whatever the fuck you're going to say, Dave. <laughs> he has proved time and time again. This man has has almost exclusively made iconic films, especially from that period. And no one ever wanted to help him make those films. He was up against the odds True. every single time, especially those four movies. Just in case anyone's wondering, folks, Godfather 1, The Conversation, Godfather yeah, conversation. 2, fucking Apocalypse Now, all within one decade. And no one wanted those movies to get made. He had to yeah. sink too much time and a lot of his own money into every one of those things. And we're going to study them till the end of time. So it's always humbling when you listen to him talk about making these is that he has he's been dealing with the kind of shit that indie filmmakers complain about since the beginning, and he's still managed to make some of the most innovative stuff of all time. Anyway, Dave, yeah, hit me. Gonna, Why oh, did wait, you not wait, like wanna, it, dude? Okay, go, Jeff. Uh, yeah, never mind. I'll let it. I was gonna say that just to clear up, like, there's another reason for the director's cut, which I imagine not a lot of you listening who haven't seen this or it's been a while, you're gonna watch it on HBO. The director's cut just clears up a couple spots, and one thing that they do, it's very, very small, but they clear up the Robert Duvall sequence. So he's only really in one chunk of the film. He's not at the beginning, and then he's gone after yeah, that. He gets like he, eleven minutes screen time. Yeah, it's it's not a lot considering how mm. iconic it is. So yeah. in this movie, they in this movie he actually lands the helicopter first, and you see there's like a red nose on the helicopter to signal that he's the commanding officer. So when instead of saying like, oh, he's over there, you can't miss him. And his intro in the the um, the original theatrical cut, you turn and you see him. And this one, he lands the helicopter, and then he has this whole sequence, and he's like, it's it's just it's fucking hilarious. But so his job is to get Martin Sheen's boat up river enough because because they're, they're, they're they need to go up the river through vietnam to cambodia that's <laughs> that's the assignment but they need to airlift the boat 
to the part of the river that is that they can start, you know, riding the boat up the river and they, they don't want to go. The only reason Robert Duvall's character is going to take them is because there are great surfing waves there. And so the entire area where they're going to drop the boat is um, North Vietnamese troops, right? So they, they actually have to go and bomb and clear everything out just so that they can drop the boat. And the only reason he wants to do that is because of surfing, which is in the original movie. At the end of this sequence, where they're literally bombing people and Robert Duvall, there's like gunshots going off everywhere. And all he is doing is staring at the water to see how good the waves are. At the end of the sequence in the director's cut because of the napalm explosion where they are literally fucking destroyed this is real by the way they actually destroyed part of the philippine forest Mm -hmm. for this one shot they fucking obliterated a forest and they they apparently like had lined the trees with gasoline so that because they weren't dropping real napalm it's yeah you can talk about that (laughs) but anyway what they do at the end of this is it's there's a famous surfer on Martin Sheen's crew and they just want to see him surf so bad they give him trunks and they bring surfboards to this battle they're destroying and killing people and they're asking people to surf that's my favorite line in the movie is robert duvall well you're not gonna surf these you think it's too dangerous to surf these fucking waves i'll surf these fucking waves meanwhile all around you is like gunfires and bombs going over (laughs) surf these fucking waves and he (laughs) rips his shirt off to go surf at the end of the sequence dave um they the napalm it it wipes the it washes the wind so that the wind flattens out all of the um the waves So Martin Sheen steals the surfboard from the helicopter in the middle of the battle. He basically goes like, over there! And they're like, what? And everybody freaks out because they're in war. And Martin Sheen steals the fucking surfboard. And they try to chase him down. All these guys run after the boat to steal the surfboard. And it's funny because it's just ridiculous. It's ridiculous. It is so absurd. It is so absurd. And then the descent into into madness for Martin Sheen as he goes up the river. The reason it changes so much the reason it changes so much at that point is because that's actually a completely different screenplay. Um that whole a lot of that sequence was from a screenplay called The Psychedelic Soldier, which was written by John Milius, who ironically also has a story credit for nineteen forty one, which we're covering later in this podcast. Yeah. Yeah. So apparently George Lucas was George Lucas developed this yeah, movie. He did for years. Yeah. And he was going to shoot it like a documentary style. And then, and then they gave him some stupid movie called Star Wars. Yeah. He chose to do that. Yeah. And apparently they had apparently they had a little rift in their friendship. Oh yeah. After yeah, he gave Coppola, was, Coppola, Coppola his blessing to make it. Yeah. And then Coppola made like one of the greatest movies of all time and George Lucas was like, damn it. I'm really glad George it's Lucas didn't direct really, this yeah, movie. Coppola made one of the Questionably, one of the greatest movies of all time, and he's Fuck saying, you, I, we're, we're shout out, about shout out, hold on, real fast, hold on, real fast, shout out to Robert Duvall. I was watching an interview with Fuck Martin Sheen, yes, and Robert he was Duvall. talking about, and he was, yeah, just in general, right? That guy's fucking great. Uh, Marlon Brando once said that he thinks Robert Duvall might be one of the greatest actors of all time. That I don't uh, like disagree. He said with. he only has like a, yeah, he only has like 11 minutes of screen time. So I was watching this interview with uh, Coppola and Martin Sheen years later, this was like recently. And Martin was talking about how nervous everyone was. And they did the, one, that beach sequence was one of the first things that they shot. And he was talking about how no one knew what the fuck was happening. Coppola would yell action and fucking bombs were going off and helicopters were flying in. And everybody yeah. was so scared and so timid, except for Duvall. Duvall was immediately take one, just screaming at everybody and doing the thing yeah. you see. Mm-hmm. And he said it was just it was such an, a lesson that when you are the veteran... You don't even have to be the veteran. It's just professionalism. Everyone immediately got in line behind him and felt like they could start taking risks, even though there was these crazy set pieces happening all around them that none of them had ever experienced anything like it before. He was just the leader. So 
they had don't to overdub give me all that of them. Don't we're not going to talk. Dave. We're not going to talk as long about the other movies for sure. They had to overdub all the lines because it was all filmed outdoors. It was all loud. It was all noisy. So almost every <laughs> single. All right, Dave. Dave, Dave I'm giving you the Dave, circle Dave, finger because we just hit 37 minutes. Dave, dude. try to try to tell our audience why Apocalypse Now is not one of the greatest movies of all time. All right, Go hold ahead on. And try. I want to hear. Gonna, it. I want to hear it. Gonna need this. All right. Yeah. I don't think that at all. I don't think it's not one of like. I don't think it's a bad movie. I don't know if it got its reputation because we people were taught it was one of the greatest movies of all time. I feel like it's. I find the the intro. I well, until I read the backstory on how Martin Sheen did it, I found the intro incredibly self indulgent and took way too long. Um, buzz yourself. I, you don't need the buzzer in this round. I wish I had the fucking buzzer in this round. <laughs> don't worry, I'll take care of it. Uh, <laughs> I know where I'm going wrong here. But I, then I read the backstory uh, how how Martin Sheen told him to keep the camera rolling and just go with it. And the mirror smash and everything was all literally like that whole thing was improvised. None of that was scripted. And I was like, okay, cool. And I I feel like this is this is old storytelling. Like this is one of those things again. Like they don't make them like they used to. Um, of course. It takes time. The pacing is slow. And I feel like yep. me coming in cold to that. I was I'm used to modern filmmaking now and going back to that which I haven't been to, I felt like I was sitting there going, okay, where's the next thing? Where's the next thing? Where's the same thing? And it took me like 15 minutes to settle down into the story. And the thing that got me to settle down into the story was like the scene where he's given the assignment leading into Robert Duvall's phenomenal performance. Like that guy deserves yeah. the Oscar just for not fucking flinching. Like there's fucking oh, yeah. explosions happening six foot behind yeah. him. He's just doing he's, his thing. He's yeah. like, yeah, he's like, look at the surf. Look at the surf. Boom, boom, boom. Yeah, look at the surf. No, seriously. Yeah, the dude's fucking made a steal. So he didn't know half that was yeah. coming. Like, <laughs> I know. It's, it's got a light around him, right? Isn't that how they describe it? Also, how fucking cool was it to see like a 14-year-old Lawrence Fishburne shaking it on the boat? Yeah. Like, that, that guy Lawrence was 14 Fishburne when he got that role. He lied about his age. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, I will warn anyone who's going to watch this, this movie does not sugarcoat things at all. Like it, when it's, it's comical and then it's not, and then it's comical and yeah, it's, it's not. Tough. And it's like, it's, it is a fair, fairly accurate representation of the circus that Vietnam turned into because they've got, you know, USO shows going off here and then they've got the jungle going off here with this fucking oh, bullets or arrows yeah. or something. coming, And like, you never know where death is yeah. around the corner. Like I've actually, like I, I've, been to Vietnam. I've, I've stood in Saigon. I, I went through the palace. I've stood next to the tanks that ran the, the gates down and stuff like that. It's a, it's like, it was a thing. I've stood where the battle along Tan happened. Um, just outside Saigon. So I, I crawled into the tunnels and I'll tell you what, I'm glad I did. I was scared of shit down there. I'll tell you that because there is no light. Dave, is that one, hmm? is that one scene in the theatrical cut where they're, they're a little bit further up the river. It's in the second half of the film and they come to a place where the bridge is being exploded and nobody yeah. is in charge. Yeah. Yeah. Unbelievable. Yeah. Keep going. Yeah. Sorry. Um, so like I really appreciate it. And like I've I've heard stories of like some of the Australian soldiers who've been who were in Vietnam. And I find I feel like, yes, this is an absolutely accurate depiction of a Vietnam's veterans like experience if they were sent on another mission after already having fucking PTSD. Exactly, it's, that's it's, what this was, it, yeah. And it really is, like, I can't really fault the way it was portrayed. Just, I feel like coming in as a person who now is exposed to modern films and the punch, punch, punch and the ADD of, like, the popcorn flicks, which I was overly exposed to, it didn't work for me 
because I was waiting for the next thing. I wasn't waiting for, you know, the trip up the river. I was waiting for something to happen. But this, uh, like, he's a filmmaker who really, really takes its time, and that's evident by the runtime of a lot of his movies. Does yeah. that, I'm curious, do you think, do you think this story could be pulled off with modern filmmaking editing techniques? Because I don't think it could. No, it'd I think lose, the essential... it, would, it would absolutely lose too much. Um, yeah, it would be too entertaining. It can't be that entertaining and do what it's supposed to do. Yeah, I will Part say, of the though, insanity I, I'm not sure. That... I don't see what everyone sees in Marlon Brando. Based on, based, now, based on, are you mostly saying that based on these these two, the Godfathers in this? Is that um, what you're mostly well, the Godfathers, I thought was a phenomenal performance, and then I, yeah, you, you get uh, then I saw Apocalypse Now, and it was essentially sitting in him sitting in half darkness, just talking and you occasionally know why, right? up. Yes, I know why because yeah, that was all. Yeah, he turned up eighty pa- like eighty pounds overweight. Pretty good. Yeah, pretty good problem solving on the. DOP's job to throw that swinging light in there. Like, what are we going to do to still make yeah. this sexy? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, give him that fucking is... toga and let's swing the light bulb. <laughs> the thing about bad. it is though, he's like, he's like the monster in the closet though. So you're, you're chasing him the whole time. And, and I think they do, they do, they, they made up, they changed up a couple scenes. So he reads the dossier a couple more times in the theatric, in the, the hmm. final cut. Um, and there's also another scene up river past the last outpost where honestly, yeah, I was I so just, confused as to what, like, what's you know, going on. And- your actor is so difficult and he turns up and gives yeah. a performance where he basically just speaks to camera. You have to hide him in light right. and it ends, the end of your movie ends up as dark as a fucking episode of Game of Thrones. <laughs> That's for mentioning Game I of think- Thrones. I think it. I do think it works. Um, I, I, like you could have got, I, you could have got five or six other actors apart from Brando to do that, and they would have done a better job, and the ending would have looked better. I'm sure a couple of things about that all the time. But the thing is, you're chasing him the whole time, so it's like you you need somebody, you need you need a presence to be there, even though it's it's fat Marlon Brando. You hmm. need the whole movie to be like, what is it going to be like when they? I'll meet? tell you what, if what if is they, this person going to be they like? Did, if they did remake it by today's standards, and they he walked in there and came face to face with Vincent D'Onofrio, I'd be happy. I feel like D'Onofrio True, can pull that I, off. I just love it. And you know what this does, though? It really justifies the line where Martin Sheen goes, I'm not even in shackles anymore. It's almost like he wants me to do it, like complete the mission and kill him. It's it's so bizarre and so confusing that that if it was like D'Onofrio, if it was D'Onofrio in... Um, in um, in the daredevil, daredevil mm-hmm. then, it, then it wouldn't work. Like it, it has to be somebody who is so far off the deep end yeah, so I, I don't I've, know. I've seen, seen D'Onofrio do a lot of different stuff. I, I feel like he could definitely. I'm not. I'm not anti. Like, I'm not anti D'Onofrio. I think, that, just I think the the uh, the happy act, the let's say a very very unhappy accident of having to adjust the way they filmed Marlon Brando's scenes, I think it ended up playing in the favor. The man, the man, concealed by shadows. You never feel like you know him. So obviously yeah. those scenes when he's talking and the mono, the famous monologue, swinging light scene. But even the ending sequence, the way they have to approach him, the way he is never actually, you don't even act fully see him before he's murdered. You never completely understand who he is, and neither does Martin Sheen. Hmm. So I feel like that was one of those things that actually, it elevated it for me. I know, so but that the thing is, that, that, was Sheen, a, that was a fix that was done because he was so difficult to work with, didn't want to do the film, turned up 80 pounds overweight. But then you've read that into But Orson Welles... Orson Welles says the filmmaking is the managing of happy accidents or unhappy well, I mean, accidents. We know, I feel we like know that. 
I don't know. I think that that is. I think it's so cunning. Many a happy accident. When when Martin Sheen, when yes, we have. When Martin Sheen walks out after he executes him into the light, and the entire fucking village looks at him. It's the first time anyone who has that status is completely exposed. I don't know if they planned to do that ahead of time or if it was just one of those adjustment things, but it completely elevates it for me that you never understand mm. who the fuck Kurtz is. And then the, what's the last thing you hear in the whole movie? The horror, the horror, this voice from this presence that you will never understand, just like Vietnam. You're yeah. never, ever going to be able to wrap your head around what the fucking happened there, even if you were there. And that it just turned in. So I don't know, man. Marlon Brando is such a fucking asshole genius. He may have planned on all of that. I don't know. I just like I did creating I, such an I impediment. feel like I feel like you're ascribing intent there, like where there wasn't. I feel like he just turned up, did it, did what he felt he could do, and walked away. I don't think it was that much thought went we'll, into it at all. We'll never. We we'll will never. never we'll never know. I mean, but to be yeah. to be fair, to be fair to to Coppola he filmed a lot of footage that they didn't use. Yeah. So if they wanted Kurtz to be a bigger role, he, he went for 18 minutes and the end of this 18 minute rant, he said, Francis, if you want any more, you need to get a different actor because he talked for 18 minutes and they only actually used two minutes of it in the movie. So like if they wanted Kurtz to be a bigger role, if they wanted more there, it was there. Um, I think they did it just this way because it's not supposed to be about Brando. It's, it's basically Martin Sheen confronting yeah. himself and who he could be. Cause he says in the movie, and he definitely says this in the director's cut as well, but he says it early on. I don't know if I'm ever leaving Vietnam. I don't know if I'm ever leaving this war. I'm never leaving mm. the jungle. And the only way he can leave the jungle is by killing Brando. So to make him a surreal character, I think works, whether it was an accident or not. Can I tell you the one thing that made, think- the one thing that finally made me pull away from this film was the animal cruelty. Yeah, I mean, yeah, but apparently watch. that really happened. A that really happened. And that's buffalo. what bo- that's what fucking bothered me. Like. Yeah. They well, actually well, no, slaughtered an animal that. on screen. Like that's a fair warning. To anyone's going to watch it. That they, they do actually kill an animal on screen. Um, yeah. And then Only I read the, the backstory behind it, and I was just like, "That that's too far. That's like no, you no. have no semblance but of control." Did that. Village, that. And, and I get, I, know, I, know. I get what they were going. They were going for. to do it anyway, though. They were going to kill that animal anyway, though. They those, weren't going to kill the truckload. He fl- he like rolled in after that though, and got se- separate takes. Also, the dog, they're, they're tricky with the dog handling and that the puppy yeah. scene, but um, I, you, yeah, I, I'm, I'm with you. I mean, honestly, the fact that they destroyed the forest, that'll never happen again because of CGI, but that's yes. really fucked up. We just fucking, we fucking blew off a beach in the Philippines for this movie. That is tricky, but you know what? It's yeah. been 40 years. We I can mean, look back don't get me wrong. It it's say, not a bad film and it's definitely something that people should watch. And that's not what you thought. It's not a bad film. It's not a bad film. Come on, dude. I love that. I love that. And as far as the recommendation, um, John, do you think, so it's it's for free on HBO right now. Do you think, because for me, the French scene, even though it was cool with them being ghosts, I think once he hits the last outpost, the last um, American outpost, I don't think we need that extra French scene, in which case there's no reason to watch the director's cut, even though it does rearrange some other scenes. Would you recommend the director's cut? Also, not in theaters, because you saw it in theaters. People watching it at home, do they need the extra half hour? I think anyone going in yeah, cold, the last thing a... they need is more of this movie. <laughs> Dave, get the fuck <laughs> out of here. Nice, I think there's there's two components there. If you are a hardcore cinephile, then yeah, I think you should watch the director's cut just to see what he added in. Yeah, you will uh, learn also, stuff. Also, technically, ha- technically, if you have a wonderful uh, setup that would actually be able to, to, to take advantage of the sound design that is noticeably better in the director's cut, then that might be another Mm -hmm. reason to go for it. If you've never seen the movie, I don't think it matters. I think you can watch either one. Cool. 
Awesome. Well, we are not going to talk this long about the next two movies, but (laughs) coming up, we have The Warriors and 1941, Steven Spielberg's uh, fill in the blank, man. You can't see it, but you can't see it right now. We're all shaking our heads. Man. Oh, my God. Anyway, listen to some Dasein. We're going to pee. Get yourself another beer. And we'll be right back. The horror. And we're back, motherfuckers. <laughs> Apocalypse now, baby. Yeah. And we're that, back. That very okay film. God damn it. You motherfucker, you did. Jesus fucking Christ. Yes. This <laughs> is the end. My right, so, only friend. So here we are. We're talking about, again, 1979. Just as a reminder to everybody else, 1979, the biggest movie of the year at the Oscars was Kramer versus Kramer. Other shout outs include Norma Ray and. Yeah, let's just zero in on that for a second. Kramer versus Kramer beat Apocalypse Now for for best film. Yeah, also beat All That Jazz and Breaking Away. Apocalypse Now Now also beat 1941 for cinematography. What the hell? How did that happen? How could that possibly happen? Jesus right. fucking Christ. Uh, uh, Coppola won director, though, didn't he? Um, the best director went right to there? Robert Benton for Kramer versus Kramer. Kramer versus Kramer. Holy was a... fucking well, Here's the thing, yeah. though. Here's the thing. Coppola, Coppola already had a bunch of Oscars by that point because he won for Godfather t- t- Part 2 twice. I, I, don't, I don't feel like talking about the Oscars anymore. Let's just talk about the Warriors, <laughs> which was nominated for zero Oscars. Oh, Star Trek The Motion Picture, 1979. Also, Alien. Wow. Alien. Hell anyway, yeah. Hell yeah. Yeah, right. we were uh, we were shit talking Blade Runner during the break, but I love Alien. Yes, <laughs> yeah, I like right. that movie a lot. The first one, nice, to, Man- nice way to avoid a buzzer. <laughs> That's right. Manhattan came out. Manhattan came out this year. Manhattan. That's it. yeah. What? Are you just buzzing Woody Allen? <laughs> are you just buzzing Woody Allen? Just yeah, buzzing Woody Allen. <laughs> Um, oh, anyway, Jesus. so let's get into so this is the Warriors, the Warriors, nineteen seventy nine. We're going to talk a lot about the mm-hmm. making of this movie because it was filmed in New York. It is about actually this is a really cool premise for now, it, right? It so is. not like yeah. So but this, it, yeah. it was also this is the most, most, it was filmed in nineteen seventy nine of in depicted the New York of the near future. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they actually remember that. Actually, it was filmed in 1978, and they really rushed the edit because there was another similar movie that was coming out, and they wanted to beat it to market, so to speak. But anyway, The Warriors is—it's the most inclusive film we have by far on our list. It's because we're in the 1970s, 1979. But it's about um, uh, street gangs from all over New York City, and actually, this is the best part of the movie, and it happens early. Um, so all of the street gangs in New York City and all of the boroughs are asked to meet in the Bronx in a park secretly. And the leader of one of the except gangs, the orphans, except the orphans, the except leader the orphans. of one of the fucking They're orphans, out of network. <laughs> Wait, were the clowns? were the clown people there too? The clowns were they at the, anyway, I'd, um, yeah. they, so I, I believe there's a thousand extras in the film. So we're talking, it looks like a hundred gangs uh, all around New York go. And the leader of one of the gangs says, I think we should form a truce because, and this is true in 1979, the number of street gang members outnumbered police officers five to one. For those of you who don't know, in the late seventies in New York city, there was a huge budget cut and they laid off so many, so, so many police officers 
that um, Donald Trump hired them all to make his buildings, got away with not paying taxes, and he hasn't paid taxes since, and has fucked New York over. Uh, For being political. Um, so, <laughs> yep. Fuck you, Donald Trump. Fuck you, Donald yep, Trump. It's, but it's all fuck. because fuck the 70s guy. were just this fucking wasteland of a time. So anyway, all of these gangs meet because they're going to form this truce against the cops so that, because they don't think they should have to fight each other because the, the real enemy, right, hashtag the Hunger Games, the real enemy is the, the police and systematic oppression that made them all poor and have to kind of scrap for food on the streets. And then the leader of that fucking get the leader of the um of the entire movement trying to unify everybody gets shot at the Cyrus. very end of his speech. Cyrus gets shot and killed, and somebody blames the warriors, this particular gang that we're following of, of kids from from Coney Island. It, it, they blame mm. them for the murder. And so it gets blasted out on the radio, and all of the gangs around the city are trying to find the warriors, and the warriors are just trying to get home. With it, with they're actually trying to they're trying to meet at Union Square. Those and radio sequences are my favorite too. They I the mean, radio I sequences love, are cool. I love that. Yeah. So we'll yeah. talk about. So I'll let you guys talk about the movie, but that's what it's about because it's 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 cool, especially for right now because it's the streets talking for themselves. They say, "Let us unify peacefully," and they're like a second away, a second away from fighting for their own independence, right? From from not killing each other, but from not cr- like recreating this ongoing systemic gang violence that's going on and then the leader of that guy gets killed by one fucking gang and then the rest of the movie is basically the warriors running away from that leader so anyway that's what that's what's about and i i um i already told you i think the best part of the movie is at the beginning so the rest of the movie does kind of drag on for me but who wants to go first other than that thank you for not buzzing me dave i appreciate that (laughs) (laughs) that's what you Um, think (laughs) um dave we kind of kept cutting you off during apocalypse now do you want to get started with this one Sure. I mean, I, I, uh, I've seen this one before. This was a, a rewatch for me. I really in, enjoyed this film. The first watch, the second watch, you're right. It does drag a little, uh, but I think it's like, it, it tells a, a journey story, uh, to its credit, an hour and 15 minutes shorter than apocalypse now. <laughs> then just the theatrical cut. Yeah. Um. But funny. <laughs> Funnily enough, my first my first thought when it when they came up and the first thing they show is these guys pulling up on the D train and I'm like, oh my fucking god, those trains are still in service. Yeah, um, yeah. yeah. But did you see that subway map though? That subway map looks like an airplane yeah, logo blown the up. Su- it, it the is, subway it map is, is the gibberish. old one. It it really was. That is gibberish um, to me. I do love the musical interludes where like she's requesting songs and that the songs have a message. I feel like that's a really great through line for the thing. Um, Though it falls short later in the film with the dialogue, like where it just gets too spaced out, and it's like the one note people will give people in some movies to keep the pacing up is like, you know, jump on people's lines, jump on your lines, guys. And these guys were not, they were saying a line, and then it's almost like someone went, Oh, fuck it, it's my line. <laughs> Interesting. I do have a couple of issues though. Um, when they first get on the train, and the train. Like they get off the train and the the bus is chasing them. They outran the fucking bus on the street, and yeah. they're running up the center of the street. Pulled you out of it, huh? Yeah, a little bit. I was like, dude, zig zag. I don't know, just do do anything. There's back roads in New York. Or City. don't run on the street. Just run run yeah. on the sidewalk. Yeah, <laughs> it's like run anywhere but where the bus can fucking drive. Yeah. Make them get out of the car and chase you. This- like make it work for it at least. Um, it was I, a full bus. Yeah. <laughs> People were hanging out of the bus, yeah. <laughs> a highlight for me, though, was David Patrick Kelly. 
and he really is a highlight of this film. He's quirky. He overacts it a little bit, but not enough to be completely campy. Uh, yeah. But he's he's the the one that is famous for the warriors come out and play uh, bit at the end, which was a total improvisation as well. Yeah, uh, this was also his first film. He later went on to have recurring roles in John Wick, John Wick, and was uh, Jerry in Twin Peaks. Yeah, mm. yeah, yeah. I've, I've, he's he's a favorite of mine. He was it was a very good role. Um, I uh, mm-hmm. I did find the New York of the future hilarious from their perspective yeah, of like, the or my future, or from my yeah. of, from my perspective of the future. Um, I love that they were still waiting for trains because let's face it, that hasn't changed. Um, yeah, couple of goofs. I did find a goof actually when they're running at the ninety sixth Street station. They run upstairs and you can see a poster yeah, on the wall. Hoyt. Oh wait, what does it say? The poster is for the movie Foul Play, which was released in nineteen seventy eight. All right, Dave. Mm. Sometimes they have old posters. Yeah, this was no for this me. Like I, a true film. It if is, you were really is. looking at it in in ninety sixth Street when they go into the subway, it says Hoyt Ave on the side. They clearly didn't film that scene in the ninety sixth Street, but which, by the way, is nobody very fucking knows that station. unless you're yeah. Always New York film in Brooklyn. Some of it they did, but I mean, they were they were filming overnight for a long time. This one sixty also, days in a row overnight. Yeah. If Sein- if Seinfeld can film in fucking LA and get away with being in New York, then yeah. <laughs> then the right, right. Warriors can make a mistake. Okay, my only other gripe really is the gangs. Like, why why was one of the gang mimes? Like, hold on, no, wait, wait, wait. Right, so this, weird, right. that's oh, funny. let's go for it though. All right, so I wanted to ask you guys, what do you think the ingredients are for a cult film? Like, what makes something a cult classic? Like, why is this thing? Because you're right. There's like, there's so many things like that where you're like, this is clearly not like truly realistic. Okay. I think I have the answer to this actually. Cause like, like I said, like, um, one of the films were like one of the gangs, sorry, was a group of mimes. And another, (laughs) another one of the gangs looked like kissed fuck face fuck the New York Yankees. And yeah. Yeah, it was I like the bats. Hawaii, the Tommy Bahama Hawaiian shirt guys. Yeah, and <laughs> right. But the, the, chick gang? the the secret to a cult film, the Lizzie's, is to commit no matter what. Yeah. And like yes. one of my my yeah. like my number one of my number one favorite films ever is Scott Pilgrim, and I love it because Edgar Wright went, you know what? Fuck you! I'm going to make the film I want to make. And mm-hmm. I feel like that's what these guys did. They went whole in with that, and they made it ridiculous, but it also was a little bit grounded. With like some of the there's definitely stuff. a ridiculous to it. To it. Yeah. I think in a lot of cult films, there's a uh, there's over a the lack top. of like yeah yeah over the top. There's usually a lack of like technical aesthetic. Like it's usually they're usually not made super well. But I don't know. Yeah. I mean, they asked right, for like, forgiveness. Cult, uh, there were focus, Dave. There were focus shifts in this that were fucked up for sure. There were some that were like no for sure though look this movie no, it anyway, yes you're right it's it's an art house film <laughs> that think. asks for forgiveness from the audience a lot yeah it does from the contemporary um, audience i know it's hard to make a movie honestly, also they were that, filling this at night that, in new york city it is so it is gangs, still a fun it is a still a fun journey it's fun like the the, the, the gang shift, introductions just get more and more ridiculous as you go along yeah and i think that's fun would that focus shift have made you like the movie more though no, no but, it, but it reminded me that, that movies are better now. 
<laughs> well, even I mean, that's not that's not a 1979 thing. I mean, that was a that was an indie thing. Like they made this like on a super low budget, and they probably didn't have. So as, as far as should resources. I recommend this to our listeners, I don't know, but it is fun and it is cool to know that because they filmed at night they, and because it was in the seventies when it was just the fucking nightmare of a time in New York city, real gangs were an issue while they were filming this gangs yeah. were like, cause some of them, and, yeah, some and of the when gangs they were, were included, it. but and when they were screening it, yeah, it, it's, it was, it's really interesting the way they made this and all the behind the scenes, my favorite. So the last thing I'll say about this, cause I think, you know, my feelings about it. Um, it's totally fine. Wouldn't recommend it, but you know, if you end up watching it, you know, it's fun. So Saul Urich, who wrote the original book, he actually wrote it as a rebuttal to West Side Story because he thought West Side Story glorified gang violence. And he was a New York City department worker, a welfare department worker. And so he wanted to kind of put his experience into what actual like impoverished gang life was like. So it is a response to West Side Story is this fucking movie, which is really fun. Also, they actually make deals with gangs. In fact, they hired a gang Mm. who was desperate and they paid them $500 a week, I believe cash, so that they would protect all of their trailers and equipment while they were running around the park and filming and shit. Like there's just a lot of funny behind the scenes stuff. It's if you live in New York or if you've been to New York, it's kind of fun to watch. If you like ghosts and you like the fucked up subway with like the graffiti on it, like, yeah, there's some fucked up subway sequences with graffiti. By the way, they really know how to time a train. How many times do they oh, yeah. get on the subway right as the door is closing? But you know, I mean, it's, my, it's... my favorite, my favorite though, was when they were standing there waiting for the train, complaining they were waiting for the train. The police turned up, they ran upstairs and the train arrived. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, aside from the police, this has happened to me too. (laughs) Oh my god! And one of the best lines ever. Just saying. Yeah. This is one of the best lines. I'll shove that bat up your ass and turn you into a popsicle. Didn't that make Mm -hmm. a list? Yeah, I saw it. Best best badass lines of the 20th century or something. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, I couldn't stop thinking about when I was. I couldn't stop thinking about when I was watching it that like. Isn't it lovely how the violence has brought so many different kinds of people together in these gangs? <laughs> like it was kind of, it's kind of fucked up how they were turning that on its head. But it's actually fairly diverse. Like most of the gangs are not one race. Yeah, right? it's, it's like, inclusive. There, for sure. are, there are some as as, like, that, are, that are mostly the one race, are but white most of them the are actually ones. pretty diverse. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, no, actually, I can see totally I can white. see at least one of the casting notices now. Like, wanted stern-looking guy must be able to look serious on roller skates. Oh that my guy. god, the roller skates guy! <laughs> that white guy gang. Yeah, they all have the they all have the same like blowout seventies Donny Osmond haircut. Yeah, <laughs> they're like right. must wear bring your own overalls and your own Donny Osmond haircut. But no, I thought I, it was interesting. I mean, they were. I don't know if there was any like intended commentary on that. If that, you like, if you want a great quote. Uh, the best quote really for me was, uh, my wife after watching Apocalypse Now, this and 1941, and she turned to me and went, can we watch something good now? (laughs) Oh my God. (laughs) Yeah. Why did you make her watch 1941? What is wrong with you? She's Um, just sat there at the same time. And yeah, we'll get to that later. That's a whole other thing. John, let's, I don't, we don't need to rush this too much, but go ahead and give us some thoughts about this. And then eventually we'll just get to 1941. (laughs) I mean that Any was kind thoughts? of that was kind of my biggest that was kind of my biggest thought. It was interesting watching this right now in the week of yeah. Sunday. Also, June 14th, I'll reason by the way recording this episode. In, yeah. Inside baseball, this is why we did not do a clockwork orange, which is a very white gang using their privilege to use to fucking throw violence at their society. It's not the right time for that. Um but this is a I, I don't know. It's yeah, it's it's a gang of of mixed race boys just going fucking to t- it's it's a, yeah, 
I'm with you, John. It's it's a tough time to watch this, but you know we did tough, but also I don't know. I I, I just thought it was interesting because I guess it's. <laughs> Again, I know what level of filmmaking this is at. I don't know how much was intended, but it felt like it was more about like the classist warfare, like the uh, yeah, I agree. The race, the race stuff never came up ever. And I thought that was interesting. Mm, yeah, Even though the bus, it. the bus, the bus that we were making fun of is a gang of skinheads, and there are black people in the gang, and it's it's not the classic white supremacist skinhead kind yeah. of thing. So in in most of the gangs, race was not an issue, and it I think they there was a gang turned was it into female. more of a Mm-hmm, the lizards, yeah, the and lizards. they were they were also very diverse. So I thought it was interesting they that badass. they ended up going for the. Um, the only one that was cut a, was the entire gang of homosexuals. That was cut. That was cut. Oh yes, wow. you're right. And they, they they were supposed to catch and torture Ajax, I think, right? Which is James yeah. Raymar. Yeah, that's I the only. That's, the, case, that's yeah. the only one that was cut. But I mean, okay, that would not be cut today. I can tell you that, but yeah, it was it was cut. James Raymar, aka I would Dexter's like father that. on Dexter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, he was sorry, good. John, yeah, it was going. cool seeing a young him. But anyway, I thought it was interesting that they ended up going for 1979. If you know a little bit about New York and what was happening then, I thought it was cool that they tried to aim it more at like classist issues, mm, so that they were all being brought together by the fact that there were so many classist issues. Which, you know, I'm not prescribing the antidote to what is happening right now today, but everyone is talking about all the stuff that we're witnessing every day on the news and something that is starting to come to light that I think is kind of the conversation that we've all been waiting to have alongside of the very important conversations about race and inequality is the financial inequality. And a lot of the things that we're seeing that are happening nowadays are symptoms of intense financial inequality. And uh, I thought it was cool watching this movie right now just because Every day we turn on the news and we, we see gatherings in the streets and we see people talking about the police as though they are the problem. So I thought it was cool that this movie kind of very, very, very simply in their storytelling gave you an enemy, the police, the people who were in charge of representing the system that obviously mm. mistreated all these people so badly that their answer was to come together, no matter what color skin you have, no matter what you look like, and start fighting back. So I don't know. I thought it was actually yeah. fairly timely. I, think, I know I think I'm looking thing, at it through this lens, but the thing also that sells it for me is right at the very end when like two gangs are facing off, and he's like, "Why did you do it?" To the gang that actually shot this yep. guy. Yes, thank you. And he pulls a total Joaquin Phoenix Joker move and goes, "I just like doing shit like that." Yeah, like there's no again, reason I don't know for this. Honestly, I'm sure it was part part, part of because where we're at right now, and I couldn't help but disassociate myself. But I also thought maybe that that may have been the only comment on race in the entire movie was that that guy was part anarchist and wanted to fight and make it bloody. And I think he also kind of wanted to kill that black guy because that was the only gang I saw that was entirely white was his gang. That's a subtle point. So I don't. I thought that was also interesting that he just wanted to fuck it up. And just watch it burn while everybody else had some kind of purpose to their seeming madness, which I, I don't know. Maybe yeah. I'm reading too far into the Warriors, <laughs> but I thought it was pretty cool. Well, anyway, time, that's the Warriors. I, I, <laughs> yeah, I also read that the, the gang, the Warriors that it's about, they that the director considered having an all black cast because it was a good gang and it would show oh, a good gang, quote unquote, like it was. They were smart. They were intelligent. They were kind uh, compared to the other gangs, for sure. And um, the producer said, "Absolutely not." 
Yeah. Wow. So it was, so it was, so they were, it was like 50, 50 white and black, but the two leads were white. And it it does seem like this could have been a real chance. Um, I I know it's gang. So like, you don't want to associate that with a particular, but I'm glad you said that dude, because it was refreshing to me. It was refreshing to me that the (laughs) Was that refreshing? (laughs) I I do feel better now. The riffs, the, the main gang that the original guy, Cyrus, who was trying to unify everyone, he was the leader of the riffs and the riffs is an all black gang. And they use uh, martial arts, and they obviously had the vision of uniting everyone. And at the very end of the movie, they take the mantle from the warriors of having to dispose of that fuck who was trying to destroy everything. Yeah. So the warriors actually get to walk away from it, and the black gang fixes the problem. I thought that was, yeah. I thought that was pretty cool. I was right. glad because I know what you meant. I read a little bit, and I saw that they had miscast some of the warriors, but I thought it was cool that the rifts, who are clearly the most powerful representation of right. gang life in New York City at the time were the ones who actually had to make the final decision. I thought yeah. that was cool. Last thing, shout out to Joe Walsh. Joe Walsh did the score. So it's an, I think this is one of the first entirely either rock and roll or entire synthesized score. Uh, he used the both, same, yeah. John, if you listen, it's the same chord structure the entire time. I don't know how many times you could do seven, six, five as like, you're like, <laughs> they, they, they literally do <laughs> it. For it's the same, do you know what I'm talking answer. about, Dave? It's literally <laughs> over and over again. But shout out to Joe Walsh, the guitarist of the Eagles, big solo artist. For I, I told my dad right yeah. away, I was like, Joe Walsh scored this movie. So shout out. But yeah, it, it's cool if you want Look, to nostalgic this trip in New York. Turn this, this it into movie's... a drinking game if you watch it. Yeah. This movie's like an hour and a half long. Sit down and watch it sometime. It's it's it's, it's good enough to yeah. enjoy if you're going to get a little drunk and enjoy hey, yourself. They could totally maps. turn this into a musical, by the way. It's it's also really fun. <laughs> oh like if you God. have moved if you have moved to New York City, it'll be like, oh, it's that place. It's that place because they actually filmed in like ninety percent yeah. of the locations yeah. they were in. Yeah, which yeah. I thought was cool. Ninety sixth yeah. Street subway really station. That whole area was one hundred. Yeah, yeah, this definitely. was way cool. before they built that replica set, the subway. So like they were actually in the fucking <laughs> subway. You guys want to break, or do you want to go right to 1941? Wait, no, let's. We're, we're going to do something. We're going to do something new this time. Um, so we are going to stick with our random number generator thing that we started this episode. Like Jeff was saying, because the of the beginning. King of Staten Island, fuck. Because the King of Staten Island. So what we what we have decided to do, so that you audience members will feel like you are a part of our surprise, is we are in front of you right now. Dave is going to generate a random year. And then we are going to be like, oh, wow, that year. Then we are going to take a break. We're going to pick our movies. And at the end of the final segment that's coming up, we're going to let you know what we're going to be talking about next week. But we wanted to be surprised with you. So, Dave, whenever you're ready, hit that fucking generator and let's see what we're going to be talking about next week. The year we're looking at next year is? Next year. next week yeah <laughs> dude i'm sorry I, I talked about apocalypse we'll be now. back this drunk. time next year don't forget the tune in okay yeah we're coming back next year when we can all leave the house yeah okay the year we're looking at next time is 2009 2009 that is 2009. one of the weirdest year. oscar years of I'm, i like the oscars that is one of the weirdest oscar the years weird of all time. ass year Following up 2008, year. which was a great year. Yeah, that was okay. okay. We like doing the weird, weird stuff. All right, we'll be back. All right, so we'll, yeah, we're going to come back and we'll let you know what we're going to be talking about at the end of the next segment. Boom. And we're back. We're, and we're back. back. We're back. What a discussion we- we've had. I am, 
overloading my microphone for sure. I think I, I did too. Sorry, I Dave. don't know. Apocalypse now got me very drunk. We'll fix it in post. Oh, all right. That's so. So saying. right before yeah, I said the fix it in right. post. Sorry. Yeah. So right before we went to break, which was 20 minutes ago for us and a full beer ago, and for you all about 15 <laughs> seconds ago, we talked about the year, <laughs> we talked about the film year 2009 that we're going to choose three movies from. So we're going to announce those three movies at the end of the podcast. But even though the Oscar year was fucking weird, which I, att- I, I stand by, here are some movies that came out in 2009. So Avatar and the Hurt Locker, Inglorious Bastards, District 9, an education, a serious man, a single man, precious, up, up in the air, Invictus, moon. Julie and Julia, Moon. So this is like a really, this is actually a really cool year. And film, it goes yeah. to show the Oscars Thanks, shouldn't Randy speak Robert. for the, the, Aus- the Oscars shouldn't speak to the movie year because it was the Hurt Locker versus Avatar. But all of these fucking movies are yeah. really, 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 really cool. Up. Crazy Heart is the secret so in their eyes. fucking cool. Into the yeah, Void. Sherlock yeah. Holmes. So anyway, mm-hmm. all right. So we'll announce the three that we're going to spend some time on next week at the end of this segment. But first, look, if there is a Mount Rushmore <laughs> of filmmakers in the American canon, four that you are going to engrave into the side of a mountain, I think it's fair for us to say that Steven Spielberg is not going to be on that fucking mountain because of this goddamn movie. Like, he... He... went from Jaws... He went from Jaws to Close Encounters of the Third Kind, and then he followed this with Raiders of the Lost Ark and E.T. and snuck in the middle of that was this racist... Yeah, that takes some of the funny away, but look, this movie is 45 minutes too long and it's two hours. It, it takes Jim Belushi and it, it uses him so poorly that Jim Belushi walked around in a t-shirt that w- said, Steven Spielberg, 1946, his birth year, to 1941, his death year. This Jim <laughs> Belushi who's in the movie ripped yes. apart Steven Spielberg for this movie. It opens. This is how this movie fucking opens. You ready? It opens with a title scroll about Pearl Harbor. And here are my notes. The open with a Pearl Harbor title scroll. And already I'm worried. Then we open with a lady in the misty ocean water with a total Jaws ripoff. Spielberg came in hot off of Jaws and Close Encounters, but that's a little fucking low. Asking the audience to laugh about your recent success, I'm sure it landed in the theater, but go fuck yourself, Steve. And John Williams, how do you lower yourself to do that? That was the woman from Jaws. Was it the woman from Jaws? Was, yeah, he brought her it's, in he's to turning, redo he turned this movie. his open his opening sequence. Yes, Ugh. he turned. The, so they start doing the Jaws movie. They're out in the ocean, and it turns out that it's a Japanese sub, and the Japanese soldiers are looking, and they decided this is a really risky fucking thing. They decided to do. They decided to not put in the subtitles for the Japanese dialogue. Instead, they made their speech the most blatant, absurd, over-the-top Japanese stereotype tropes, including saying, like, Hollywood, and pointing, and everybody going, ooh, Hollywood. It is a joke. It is disgusting. It it made me want to throw up, and we're not even five minutes into this movie. I have to buzz you, but I don't want to. You're right. I mean, off the bat, you're watching this, and you go, I I know... 
because I've seen from here to eternity. I know that there was that sentiment going on, and I know that the military spewed some racist shit early on to get everybody fucking fired up to fight the Japs. I know that, like, for generations, like, your grandpa would be like, oh, the Japs. And it's like, all right, all right, man. Come on. That was a long time ago. Yeah, yeah it's but Thanksgiving. Like, go to sleep. Yep. But this is a comedy. <laughs> and they thought that that would be – he thought that that would be funny. And, and you're sitting there in the future, and you go, oh, my God. Oh my God, this is Steven Spielberg. Like how, how, oh my God. Oh oh my God. I, I like my, my jaw was on the fucking ground. I can't believe they did this. I can't believe he did this. I know he's sorry about it. I know he's sorry about it in hindsight, but it's just, I, I, yeah. I can't, I can't it fucking really believe is. this movie happened. So this is a positive film podcast. <laughs> so listeners, just, just a little clue you in there before we started recording this segment jeff said i don't really want to talk very much about 1941 so i'm glad you just went there is a line that jim belushi says jim belushi he says he's in a plane and he's getting shot at and he says i'm an american can you tell the difference there's another line where he's shooting at the japanese he said eat lead slant he calls them slant and it's supposed to be funny it is this is tough man this is all right yeah. so there are a few things there tough, are a few things i tough. few things i kept thinking about when i was watching this monstrosity of a film i mean this thing is, <laughs> good lord i'll drink just to have some fun but i'm right that's yeah, not even a criticism we're all gonna drink a lot good lord almighty there are a few things I kept thinking about. One was my co-host Jeff saying that Steven Spielberg makes movies for old grandpas. And I kept thinking about that while I was watching this. Point fucking proven. What is his obsession with their generation? First of all, it's just I couldn't stop thinking about Steven Spielberg while I was watching this. I was like, why the fuck is he so he can't not. obsessed he has, with that he, generation? He has, ex- he has actually said that this movie was a product of his arrogance. Yeah, I mean, come on. That opening is... Fuck you, this dude. I cannot he, believe he, he opening parroting his there's own a, movie. There's a point in the middle, and I can see where he considered turning it into a musical, and his comment yeah. to, to, to that was, it might not have suffered for it. Honestly, it would have I mean, been... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Out of the director's but, right, so, yeah. so, And why did he probably say the musical? This was the second thing I kept thinking about when I was watching this. This movie would have been brilliant if Mel Brooks would have written and directed it. There, there are 100%, certain things... Yes, although... So I, I know what you mean, but well, you say that, but like, how are any of his movies yeah, okay I mean, and funny? They're hilarious. Why is Blazing Saddles so funny? And it's the most inappropriate thing you've ever seen. Steven Spielberg is clearly yeah. not very good at Spaceballs comedy. Spaceballs is at least kind of walks the line. But yeah, yeah Blazing no, Saddles, I think I'm he's good at that. Not offended a lot of people. I mean, so before we destroy Steven Spielberg, like, comedy is is hard. Right. Like everyone hears that everyone. No one really knows what that means unless they've like given it a shot and stuff. And I think this is a good example. If anybody wants to waste their time and watch 1941, you'll be able to see that. You'll be able to see that. Steven Spielberg is is. Is good at certain things. And even in this movie, there are a couple elements of the filmmaking stuff that he still pulls off okay they just have they make no sense in the context of the movie the big giant set pieces why on earth does an entire house fall into the ocean at the end that of this is movie the just because he wanted of the to movie. do that oh yeah let me call at these the motherfuckers this movie, out you, you guys know who through. wrote this he knocks a house off yes. the cliff 
You I guys know, know who wrote this, this I'm sorely thing? disappointed. Bob Gale and Bob Zemeckis, the co-writers of fucking Back to the Future, fucking wrote this script. And it was called why, The Night that, that Japs Attacked. That, that's why I'm thankful for this movie, because I'm sure when it came to write and direct Back to the Future, I bet it was like, okay, let's not do what we did last time. Let's not do what we did last time. Just, just technically. There, all right, so... I feel like we're going to end up talking about like why this isn't funny. Like I was, I had never been challenged that much while watching a comedy to try to determine for myself why I wasn't laughing. Like there are, and I'm not going to take away too much from. Um, there were like five God, things. All right, I where do we at. even? Where do we even start? There, there were some things I laughed at. Where do we even start? Let's start with this man, Steven Spielberg. I think he thinks some things are funny. So again, to call you Jack, to call you back, Jeff. The stuff in his movies that we have said, like the Indiana Jones, I feel like he made this for old grandpas. The stuff that he thinks is funny is just not funny. So like he has a lot of ideas that he thinks are going to be successful that are not because they're ideas because he doesn't know how to bring ideas into fruition in a comedy. The filter he puts on his lenses. You can barely see this fucking movie. It's so yeah, it's so overly filtered. Yeah. So even that is like an idea. Like I bet when they were sitting around in their room, they were like, hey, let's put a ridiculous filter on it. Sure, that may have been funny for one scene if you were commenting on the fact that old movies kind of looked like that, but not the entire movie. So even technically, I hated it just because I thought that he was just using all these cliches of wide coverage and not using too much coverage and having that kind of filter on there. Oh, come on, give me a break. <laughs> He had I, Dan Aykroyd, John Candy. You, but I have to. <laughs> he had John Candy, Jim Belushi, and Dan Aykroyd in this movie, and none of them are very funny in it. That you must be doing something really wrong if those yeah. three guys in 1979 are making you laugh. Dude, so Dan, it, for me, that, it came that, down that, that to first, story. That first scene in the diner, Dan Aykroyd fucking phoned that in. <laughs> he did make. He made me laugh a little bit with the the speech he gives before he gets hit in the head, where he's like, "You think." They don't, yeah. they don't know who Walt Disney is. You can't, the Japs don't care about yeah. Walt Disney. It's hard but to ultimately, watch the future. He also says, do you want to eat future. rice and fish heads in the, in the morning? No, then we have to band together. Awful. It's, now, it's again, hard. It's hard. Well, you want to forgive them because it's comedy. It's farce too. So like, if this was in the hands of a genius like Mel Brooks, you would be laughing at that stuff because you would be allowed to laugh at it. Yeah, because so, Mel Brooks again, would have written different jokes. <laughs> Written different jokes, written different performances. But again, honestly, you guys, like, how do you break this down? For me, ultimately, at the end of this, oh, I, I realized this doesn't work because there is no fucking story. You don't care. Who's the lead about of this movie? Anybody? You... To that point, who's the lead? Just buzz by I have you. no I, idea. I don't know. What Ask point me. I don't know. <laughs> is it the guy who was just trying to hit on the chick by pretending he knows about planes? Oh Dan man! Aykroyd, it should just be. It should. It, yeah, sexism, man. It should just be. John Dan Aykroyd and John Candy going around trying to install guns in random people's homes. Like that would have been a funny movie, I guess. Yes, because it would have had a story. In, I think <laughs> I wrote in 52 story. minutes. It's almost like they just wanted the mayhem sequence. So there's like a USO dance happening across the street from a screening of uh, Dumbo at the same time on this night. And everybody's meeting there. There's all these fights. And, and so it's like the USO dance with all the soldiers asking the women and all of their boyfriends getting in fights. And then all the generals are like crying at baby mine from Dumbo. And it's almost like they just wanted that sequence to be insane. But this is, we're not even halfway into the movie. And now 
I don't know, 200 people are in a fight. And I'm like, I don't even know who these people are. Why should I care about how this, I just want this fight to be over. I just want it to stop. <laughs> yeah. People, and also, and, and it's a far, so it's funny, it's, it's brilliant. It's like Steven Spielberg is a mathematician. So every time a gun goes through a window, by a gun, I mean like a like a cannon, kind of like a huge Dude, if he's gun. a mathematician, he forgot to show his fucking work. Yeah. You're right, I want to see, no, because like, I, you can see the, the continuity for the most part checks out. There's some really interesting stuff going on, but what a what a waste! And also, John Williams' score is kind of fun, even though every now and, it's almost like he realized the movie was bad, it and he just like went, the you know what? From Star Wars. And sh- oh, interesting stripes. Yeah, it's I was gonna like say stripes, it was like a. Which is, he, I was saying he was testing movie. out Raiders. Yeah. Anyway, it's I have no idea who to root for at all. I, it, it's. I have no idea what the story is. I have no All idea. Right. It's just fucking okay. mayhem. And I think I it's it. from here to eternity. I think he's trying to do some from here to eternity because yeah. there's a bunch I'm, of different plot I'm lines. I'm going to jump in here. To I'm going to go down a point list I made. Point one. The <laughs> We're only never film, working for DreamWorks, by the way, so it doesn't matter. The only <laughs> film that should have an opening scroll that long is fucking Star Wars. Or Spaceballs. Yeah. Spaceballs, hmm. too. Spaceballs would have been yeah, funny. His Space first Balls idea was Balls not did funny. It better. The, very, the, the very first idea isn't funny. The long scroll. That's what I was Keep going. To say at the beginning. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. The opening scene. I can't wait for the show up on the Disney Plus network and have them add bad CGI hair to her ass when it ends up there. Yeah, because, yeah she's like naked. It's really yeah, strange. Yeah. It, it, yeah. It, my one. My, okay. Two. Two positive points out of this whole film. John Belushi has never not made an awesome entry on film. That is the best. I laughed when he popped yeah. up when he jumps up. His entry is funny. Yeah. Yes. And, and the way he's looking at that map is really funny. I don't know how they filmed <laughs> that sequence. I don't know how that that I don't know how that stunt pilot didn't crash the, into a mountain. The best joke in the film is when they're trying to cram the radio into the submarine, and the Japanese That's guys funny. like we have to find a way to make these things smaller, but the joke isn't even in fucking English. Uh. Yeah. It's yeah. like. That's the best joke in the whole movie. The writing, yeah, like, gonna, that's a liberal use of the word joke, but I'll it, I'll it is. <laughs> but it, like it's a it's a throw to stuff we already know, and like granted, yeah. yeah. I'm so glad that in writing comedy, we move past the innuendo dick jokes for comedies. Because let's have face we? it, the f- we have a little bit. Like comedy got a little bit clever. It's not just like it. And the funny thing is, I was I was watching this with my wife, and I don't know what was funnier, the movie or the fucking look on her face while we were watching it. Uh, at any given that, point, that yeah. all the fucking <laughs> you guys, like, all the- her jaw was on her fucking chest half the time. It's like, what the hell is this shit? And honestly, I mean, dude, tell the person and who then, made it was skilled. Well, it's, like, uh, no, it's, but I mean, yeah, it, it got nominated for an Oscar for cinematography, but like, yeah, every, the shots and everything are skilled, but the, the script was like, what the fuck are you doing? Yeah. Like you've I got even know dick jokes. This. You've got the guy trying to get the girl on the plane. So she'll shag him. It's like, yeah. it's like, what? Like, no, this is, this is also, this is comedy that doesn't women? work in the modern era. What's up, with, what's up with writers? The fatal flaw for a woman is actually just if the man says the right thing. So what is it about like writing these women where they're like, look, I'm not buying your shit. I'm a strong, independent woman. And he's like, well, what about this plane? And she goes, planes. 
My yeah, weakness. Well, no, there was, there, there was no a trope. longer a strong, independent woman. There was that a trope was in the seventies, nineties. Um, like it, it went through that. Yeah, it went through Porky's. It went through Screwballs. It went through like all these movies that were released in that time period. Like it was like if you get this girl in a particular place, she will shag your ass off. And it was like Steven that, Spielberg. I don't think yeah, Steven Spielberg I mean, the, the had anything sex... to do with that. Like that, he was directing what was written. I don't think he changed. Uh, that. I don't know. He's a powerful dude. I like, not I at don't the know. time do he was Spielberg. Do you think? Yeah, he had the, two of the biggest hits of all time leading up yeah, to this. Yeah, I, I mean, think... that's the thing. Like he had two movies. He was like thirty years old. Hits. What yeah. do you this? <laughs> Do you like think 30, I think 32. he goes to I think he goes to um, anonymous meetings, whatever denomination, and he goes, "Hi, my name is Steven Spielberg." Hi, Steven Spielberg, and he goes, "It's been eleven years since I've made 1941," and then he starts his speech. <laughs> I just want to know, do you think? All right, he feels bad about the fact that his two worst movies are the racist Japanese movie and the Color Purple. Like, do you think he feels really bad that those are the two worst ones? Was the Color Purple bad? Yeah, I don't think that's a bad he. Movie. he it's a fine movie, but he even said, I'm sorry, I wish it was better. <laughs> it's what Aww. he has actually said. Yeah, it's what he said. I like Whoopi Goldberg's perfect in it. Uh, shout out yeah. to Oprah. It, shout out to um, to Danny. But anyway. Steven, okay, if, if, Steven, Steven if Steven feels like he could have done better, great. I'm on board with that. I mean, this thing is, this, like the one, the, a couple of gripes I have with this is like, this was nominated for cin- a cinematography Oscar. Which yeah. I get for some of the miniature work yeah, that was okay. done, but yeah, the miniatures. Also, it lost to Apocalypse Now. I should point out, <laughs> uh, and it was included among the American Film Institute's list of 500 movies nominated for the top 100 funniest American movies. So buzz that, I buzz would, that fucking no, I, would, <laughs> I propose <laughs> we now need to include a segment called "What the fuck were they thinking." Honestly, no, I'm down for that shit. What the fuck were they Wait, thinking, this dude? Is, this is me. I, I always want to ask people, why did you do that thing? This yeah, is like, it's like, I what, know. what were you fucking thinking? Like, and also, like, the, I mean, one of my other favorite gags in this is no one can pour a cup of coffee in this movie. Which is, every, it's every an, time, it's every, anytime anyone pours a cup of coffee, it goes fucking everywhere. It's a running gag. I like running gags, so but look, like, that's the two Spielberg funny things team. in this movie. Spielberg it's is awful, you guys. It really, film, it's so. awful. If it all boils down to, if you're over fifty-five, and this kind of cheap humor still flies, then it's probably not that bad. If you're under fifty, yeah, it's that fucking bad. I mean, if, if it if also has if, to. If, what? If you're of that mindset, some of this movie, like some of the jokes, might land. But two Three hours of the jokes like, landed. <laughs> opening diner scene they're like throwing plates and throwing glasses and stuff and they're like breaking pictures and they're like cooking in the diner and then it goes to dan Aykroyd and john candy and you yeah, know what it's, it's, it's like cheap it's fun and it's snappy it's snappy and it's uh let's it's filmed well it's just i mean two hours of that pace and that like i know farces are over the top but jesus christ i have no idea who to follow i have no idea what's going on i have no idea what the point is there's this whole air like battle okay that so happens, which Jeff, is two americans have, firing at each other do you have in front of you what the runtime of this movie was it's about two hours um, okay because i can tell it you it feels uh, like four me, for sure me and therese my wife sat down to watch it and at about an hour 30 she was on her phone 
Look at other shit. No, hour thirty. <laughs> proud of her. The the the, the yeah. fucking farcical sequence where they were dancing. Like, they were in the street. Then all she got up and went downstairs and hung with people. No. Like it was like yeah. So there's this whole air battle that's happening, and you think they think they're fighting the Japanese, <laughs> but they're actually fighting an another American who's having sex in a plane. Yes. And there's this whole battle on the plane. Because the only like, place oh God, this, this girl, the only place this woman will put out is an aircraft. It's like it's like Porky's yeah, all over it's like again. Her one weakness. She's a strong guys, I turned this woman, off. She has her one weakness. I, I, I turned this anyway, off. Anyway, like, there are 30 minutes left after that. This movie finally happens. There's a huge air battle. And then there's another 30 minutes after this. And this is a comedy. It's like, I, I just, look, Spielberg knows this. So we're this not is talking not a comedy. It's a audience. fucking travesty. That's what it is. Audience, don't go see this I stopped this watching this. I can't remember the last time. I, I can't remember the last time I only watched part of a movie. I had to turn it off. At about an hour in, I just stopped it last night. I was like, I can't. Guys, I'm well, so I pissed first off. Time in I'm years I've done that. so pissed off about this movie. I have launched a denial of service attack on the website that generated the random number that gave us this year. Oh, I didn't even realize that was Christopher no, Lee. I just did. I just admitted German... to a federal crime. I'm so pissed off Lee about it. <laughs> I mean, this is so. This movie's so ridiculous that Christopher Lee is in the movie, and he only speaks German. So it's like, obviously, us and the Japanese right after okay. Pearl Harbor did in you, 1941. Did you read this the trivia on that, though? No. Like, he, um, honestly, he, I didn't he, he only spoke German. The guy who was the Japanese commander only spoke Japanese for that. real. And yeah. they never understood they what the, cast- each other was saying. Oh, that's really funny. Also, <laughs> yeah. the, all the Japanese extras, because they didn't I don't know I what mean, the fuck they were doing. That, the only but thing the that Japanese makes I'm sorry. Like the, the only kids. thing that story makes cool is Christopher Lee. Really, <laughs> it's like, yeah, this wow. movie sucks. They cast, so they, and they <laughs> they cast kids. I don't know what they were doing. They they cast kids who were who were of Japanese descent you know, to the play thing the Japanese. That, the fucks but they me off is it, the, Dave. Dave. <laughs> what the fuck? There's a fucking director's cut of this. There's a director's cut of this. No, he he's begging you all to not watch this, and I think we are too. Um, Steve, he really hopes you just rewatch Jurassic Park or something. Not the Lost Worlds, just Dude, regular just Jurassic Park. Seriously, um, go back and watch Harry Potter or something. <laughs> not one of his movies, but yeah, like he'd rather you watch that than this for sure. He made his money back actually, so he was totally fine. He apologized, yes. even though this movie made money. It um, did just yes. Anyway, the, it looks, like, uh, they, they, it looks like uh, it looks like it looks like Ivan Reitman. They considered having Ivan Reitman do this, but he was directing Meatballs. Harold Ramis was yes. fired from writing this. Really? Because of <laughs> creative differences. To, his, he, he was probably they fired the so many people from this film for <laughs> creative think, differences. It's like the producer was went, "Oh, you don't agree with me? Fuck off." <laughs> I mean, I'm it is a so good. Convinced. It's a good lesson, you they, guys. Watching this, you're like, I'm sorry. "This is what doesn't work." Hollywood <laughs> producers at this time should just fuck off. Yeah, if yeah. you're writing your movie out there and it's not a single person narrative, so you're trying to tie in a bunch of storylines and you want it to be funny and you want them all to converge, watch this movie and just make sure you didn't fall into any of these traps. There are so many. They, 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 the they, they, they fall into all the traps. The style is really cool. For about Jeff drinks and talks at the same between. time is amazing. I mean, there are so many. There are ensemble movies that are really good. There are Robert Altman who's really good at it. Paul Thomas no, Anderson is good here, at it. From here to eternity, that's what this movie wanted to be—the comedy farce version of. All and right, it is so so good. 
We have bagged uh, this out enough. This has been a long episode. We have to wrap this up. Yeah, do you think people want to know if we, we have more to say about this or what? Oh, my God. No, just don't see it. <laughs> What's her name? Right. What's her name? I will give one shout out. My favorite perfor- like physical comedy performance, I think, was the girl who played Maxine. Like the girl's friend who kept going after Stretch. And she oh was just God. throwing her body all over the place. She yeah. made me laugh a few times in all of her stunts. But that's it. That's it. <laughs> I mean, kudos to everybody else for trying. If this movie was just Dan Aykroyd, John Candy, and John Belushi, and Jim Belushi, it would have been. And then Christopher Lee, whatever. Well, that that's like the, br- the blues part of this. We have that. Touché. Yeah, I can't, guys. Touché. We can't redeem this. We failed. We failed yeah. at redeeming no. this movie. Don't ever watch it. Yeah. Don't, Don't do ever it. watch it. Block it out. We thought it would be fun to watch it and see. Oh, is it really that bad? Yep. Yeah. 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 Hide yeah, your folks. Really hide wild. your kids. Don't let anyone watch it. Hide, hide your kids. kids hide, hide your, your wife. wife. Look, it is. It is possible for a genius like Steven Spielberg to make this movie. He might still be on the mm. Mount Rushmore, but he's he's a cusper. That's for sure. Um, who yeah. else is wait real fast who else is going on Mount Rushmore I just want to know who else in your mind is on there oh 100% Scorsese Kurosawa and um, American filmmakers and, I thought American filmmakers dude don't be racist yeah Kurosawa man everybody knows Rashomon everybody knows yeah, Seven fucking Samurai. Kurosawa they should know Ron he inspired so, half Kurosawa, the people you're talking about Kurosana, Kurosawa wow I just fucked it up Kurosawa wow. hey, <laughs> hey this is a drinking game this is a drinking game Kurosawa, Kubrick, Scorsese, and then fill in the blank. I don't think there's a like an obvious fourth, and but then it could be John Edgar Ford. Wright. I would put John John Ford is probably up there. Um, Edgar Wright is up there. Dave talked me out of Coppola, but I, I would say John Ford is probably the fourth one. <laughs> or maybe even Billy like Wilder. Charlie Chapman or Billy Wilder. Yeah, exactly. And, and Spielberg changed the game for sure, but I mean... Mm. Hmm. All right, no. let's let's wrap this up. This is going long. All right, what movies are we going to be talking about? We, next we week, also never want to work again in the industry after coronavirus <laughs> happens. We never, we never want to work I, ever I, again. I, yeah, my resume is not going to list this podcast. I can tell you that. Please pick up our movies. Hey, I heard you guys have a podcast. Do you have a podcast? Yeah, and it's it's a no. It's a no, no. from us. We <laughs> we listen to your 1941 segment. Um, Steven Spielberg, just one. You know what? Time. No. Yes. I'll list this podcast. Make better films, fuckers. I mean, that's he right. did. Content he did make better out. films after this. He, did, he, he really did. did. He <laughs> learned his lesson. I mean, I feel like Raiders, Spiel- Raiders, 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 Spielberg. Back to back. Come on. Spielberg went on to bigger and better things. Also, I shat on. I shat on the Indiana Jones segments, the whole series. But Raiders is a perfectly fine film. Hey, Raiders is a very fine, very fun film. Fuck you, drink. <laughs> If you're an old Next white week, we're man, talking about the films of 2009. Here are the three film. films that we want to talk about. We are going to talk about <laughs> District 9. What a fucking fun sci fi movie. I have yes. a feeling some of you have not rewatched it in a while, but it is really, really, really fucking Rewatch cool. District that. 9. Also, yeah. Invictus, Matt Damon, Morgan Freeman, we're talking about fucking rugby, baby. And both of those movies take place in South Africa, an accent none of us are going to try to reinstate, even though... I can, I can almost reason, do it, because I'm Australian. For some reason, people think Australia and South Africa are the same. They're not. We really sound the, the same. That we, are, we always put in a movie at the end to try to bait us into shitting on it. 
that is our redemption movie. Was it a redemption movie? For oh my god, 2009. So here's the thing. Look, I said this on the podcast recently. When I I'm proud of of this. I'm proud of this decision. When I walked out of the theater, when I saw Avatar, the holiday weekend in 3D IMAX, I remember thinking this movie is really, really fun. That was a really cool experience. I hope I never fucking see this movie ever again. But it was really, really fun. It was like I was at a theme park watching a movie. Now we get to watch it at home on our television sets. Yeah. yeah. Fuck that Avatar. I don't want to rewatch it, but I will for you listeners. I saw <laughs> Avatar. Myself I, I, okay, I have a special place in my heart for Avatar because I saw it on December 17th, which is my birthday. James Cameron gave me Avatar uh, for my birthday. Dave. I went and saw it on my birthday yeah. and I loved it. I thought it was the most, the most phenomenal use of 3D I've seen in modern technology and I haven't seen it <laughs> since. Same. So this will be fun. Because it's not a good movie. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck guys, you, 1941. <laughs> guys, go watch Apocalypse Now. Rewatch all any just any South African movie before next week's podcast, and don't rewatch Avatar. I can't wait to talk about it. Final thoughts, my friends. Boom. Peace out. <laughs>